In this episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with one of my friends from the D&D TikTok community, Kelsey. Kelsey spoke about their use of tangible objects such as props and maps and things of that nature to better immerse players in the game. I really loved utilizing and discussing these type of props, but never did I ever think about it in and from Kelsey's perspective. So, Without further ado, let's jump into the episode, and if you do like this episode, be sure to share this with your friends, and consider supporting us on Patreon. With that being said, let's get into the episode. Hey, Kelsey. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for coming onto the show. It's been, we were talking a little bit before the recording, and just gotten getting to know each other a little bit more, so it was, it's been lovely so far, but I hope you're doing well today, or whatever wherever you are in the world i hope you're doing well yeah it's it's been a great day and this has been a, a great cap to it so i'm really excited to talk D and talk D with someone i don't play with which i don't get to do all that often as well so this should be a good time cheers to that cheers to that my friend um it's one of those things that i feel like with ttrpgs it's really it's very common if not almost part of the culture to be able to have these discussions pretty laid back and pretty pretty simply right because i think it's kind of like um being at the comic book shop like or the game store wherever you want to call it where you can just kind of like be there for the first time and then all of a sudden like oh hey now we're talking about the same thing that we all love um i don't know if that's been at least that's been my experience where like it's very easy to kind of like just like pick up something and be able to move conversationally rather yeah, I, I mean, I will say, frankly, my experience going into game stores more skews to, so are you shopping for your dad or your boyfriend today? Uh, Oof. But Oof. Uh, I have managed to find a great local game store that is not the case at, and that's where I spend my dollars, which is a good statement for why all of your customer service should understand that nerds come in many packages. Yeah, that's one thing I, you know, I've had, so one of the game stores I went to, that I I really I went to often rather. Um, I heard a story from one of my players, and I won't say who, just because I I want to make sure just for privacy. But th- them, they're a couple. You know, they uh, they went over, and he was telling me about like he was buying some miniatures and doing all this stuff, and um, essentially they treated him differently when he was there with his partner because of that fact of like oh. Cool. And, and and I'll be honest with you, when my wife and I, uh, when my wife came to the game store with me, every it, it was completely different. They, you know, it's almost like, hey, can I help you? Can I help you? Um, and then when I go, it's like, like not even a, hey, how you doing? It's just very, you know, uh, very blank. And I actually guess that's a good, that's a good way to start first. So you mentioned about the game stores that you used to frequent and that you, in the, that now you went, you go to a particular one. When you started going to game stores, were you already actively playing TTRPGs or is that or is the game store the place where you started? Kind of tell me a little bit about your origin story, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it's a fun one. and I, I love getting to share it because I'm a second generation dungeon master. So my first encounters with Dungeons and Dragons was my dad DMing for me. That's legit. Uh, and he like really came up in like old school D&D <laughs> of like going to the cons where you are like competitively building dungeons at your mm-hmm. speed running against other parties i mean very different than the certainly than the dnd i run in different than the dnd he runs at his tables today uh For but sure. my first encounter with dnd was 
third edition. And then my first campaign okay. was probably 3.5. Uh, and I was this little preteen teenager at this table of very patient middle-aged men. Well, and and you mentioned that because, you know, I have a daughter. So I start to think like, man, she'll probably experience something very similar. Well, she'll just be involved like she'll almost be like baptized in it. Right. Um, do you so when you notice that or rather when you notice like, OK, like my dad, you know, Pops is playing a different edition, not only do I logically know, but I can almost feel it, right? Like you can feel it's a different edition than fifth edition. When was that moment that you said, Hey, this is very different. And this is either a good thing, bad thing, or what were your initial thoughts? Yeah. So I took a pretty heavy break from D and D, you know, I okay. played a little bit in my early teen years and didn't see myself in the game and didn't see myself in really tabletop games in general. Uh, the stories that were being told weren't stories that were like the fantasy books that I was reading. Okay, could you, could you go deeper in that? Yeah, I mean, I think I was reading fantasy that is marketed to young women and girls, which tend to be much less combat heavy, more about like the character development and things okay. like that. And especially coming from the older style of D&D, you know, everyone was coming with multiple backup characters because their character was just going to die. It was much True. less about, which is an absolutely valid and fun way to play the game, but wasn't as this like coming from playing like imaginary games with my friends was not like the direct analog to the kind of stories that I was enjoying telling. True. And then, you know, coming as I got older, even among other like femme presenting female people that I was seeing that were in the space were very different in their nerdiness than I was. And it really took until the pandemic, I think, in the way that a lot of us had these like, what am I doing not being involved in all the things that I'm passionate yeah, about? A lot yeah. of people went through big changes. And I don't remember if it was Nad Potter Dimension 20 that like crossed my path. And I realized that D&D in the like decade and a half that I hadn't been playing it had changed a lot and who was playing and had it changed a lot, but was more visible in the different kinds of ways to play it and who was playing it. Mm. Uh, and so my way of getting back into it is during the early days of lockdown, my dad and I played one-on-one D&D with each other and we would alternate sessions running in our homebrew world. So do you share that homebrew world then? No. So we, we were writing separate homebrew worlds. <clears throat> he was running and he had been working on, he hadn't run D&D in several years, uh, but oh, had wow. always kind of been working on this like homebrew campaign setting sure. that he was working on. And honestly, the thing is just massive and the like global political circumstances around it is mind boggling. Well, uh, if but... he's been playing for that long, right, he's probably has a solidified 20, 30 years, right? Which is like, yeah. I'm not gonna lie, I'm, I'm kind of jealous because at that point you've had, and, and actually correct me if I'm wrong. So the players that you were mentioning when you were a kid, right? Mm -hmm. Were they consistent players? Like were those the players that him, like your dad and these in individuals were playing with for X amount of years? So we had moved. Um, and so these were, he just kind of did what you do. You post at a game store and get sure. who you get. And this was really, I mean, the internet existed, but not in the like hashtag LFG, LFP, like yeah. Reddit kind of spaces where you can like more easily find players. Uh, and so it was mm. really just potluck. Um, some people from his okay. work, some people from local game stores, Okay, uh, but all like men in their like late 30s and 40s so yeah probably the same demographic as pops you exactly. know you know yeah. he's like and and if i remember correctly because I, I think 
we were kind of talking about this too, where um, a lot of times generationally, like we, we were, we're in the weird generation where it's like, we remember life before the internet. And then we remember life when the internet was introduced, but people still relied on the non-internet ways, right? Like phone books, things of that nature. So from a game store perspective, you probably went and looked, you know, people looked at the game, at the, at the yellow books. Um, so for the people that are watching and listening, there was a time where there was a thing called a phone book and said phone book was a tome of sorts where you can scry on different people that wanted to be scried upon. And you would call and say, oh, this industry, whatever, boom. Um, and again, Calling's I'm not- kind of like the sending spell if you're more correct. used to text-based communication. Correct, <laughs> correct. Because um, we're now not in a, we are in a sci-fi fan. Uh, we're maybe a little sci you know, science fantasy, but we're more science fiction now, um, unfortunately. Um, but at least we don't have to deal with mimics. But the point is like we, you know, we there was a lot more effort to be made. And I think that's something um, nowadays we don't have to have that effort. Now, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Do you think that there's a lost art in having a little bit of the struggle to say, not necessarily to fit in, but rather to really search for a gaming group and really say, hey, I got to make an effort to search for this gaming group. And therefore, I'm going to be really invested and I'm going to vet my players and I'm going to vet my dungeon master. Do you think that's a lost art and that we kind of have, we should kind of bring back that not exclusion, inclusion always, but again, that kind of vetting? I, I think that's a great point. And I think some people miss the mark there. They're so mm -hmm. excited to play that they don't think about the amount of time you're going to be spending with this group of people. Like a job. You're, you're a third of your life every week working. Yeah. And it's something I've gotten better at as I have really started DMing. Because again, I got back into DMing during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And, the, and you know, you mentioned a, a lot of folks did that during the pandemic, right? They got back into D&D or into TTRPGs, or they started just finding it, discovering it rather, rather rediscovering or discovering or whatever, <clears throat> excuse me, where I think, and, 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 you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a beautiful, it was a, it was a beautiful thing. But like you stated, people were so ready to jump in where they kind of missed the mark, right? They said, oh, I want to play once a week. We're going to play online. It's going to be awesome. And then, oh, wait a minute. This game master is kind of creeping me out or, hey, this game master does a lot of slapstick humor and I just want more serious. You know, totally. And it, it's something I now so I have been running my homebrew campaign for over a year now. And awesome. that's a core group of four players. We started with six, we're down to four. And we are like all in, we've all made the commitment to like multi year campaign, we have like genres for our next two campaigns picked Heck out. Yeah. yeah, like we're all in and and that chemistry is like lightning in a bottle. Like it's so yeah. hard to capture a gaming group that clicks yes. that well. Yes. And I just started running the wild beyond the witch light. And oh, I nice. learned a lot um, from my current homebrew campaign, I was running a different group that I had to actually like break up with the entire group because it was mm. not a good situation. And so when I started That's running Witchlight, I had a very extensive posting explaining what I was looking for that included mm. specific next steps talking about my gaming style. And I intentionally wrote that to highlight the things that I knew some people might not enjoy about me as a DM. 
Mm-hmm. I did screening interviews with everyone. I did That's a good. trial one shot with everyone to not only see how they, I liked playing with them and they liked playing with me, but also to see of these players who works well together for a prospective mm-hmm. campaign. Because Witchlight is a pretty short campaign. You only go sure. to level eight, yeah. but still it's a weekly weeknight campaign that we're playing and we're going to be playing until May or June together. Yeah. So it felt really important yeah. to me to get a group that was going to be cohesive and, and it's paid off i mean it's not like the instant click that i have with my main campaign for sure but everyone's getting along super well and and role-playing well together and i feel good and comfortable moving forward with the campaign now you mentioned a couple you know the very extensive interview process so to speak um and i'm glad you brought that up because i remember seeing the logic behind it uh, on one of your tiktoks where you you really brought the point home to people where it's okay Right. Like I don't, you know, for the folks out there, we can, you know, obviously you're going to follow Kelsey because you want to kind of level up your GM skills. But the big thing that I noticed, and I really appreciated this, was you mentioned something, I'm going to paraphrase that the vetting process is okay. Like, and again, for the game masters out there, the vetting process is okay because you're running the game you are playing a collaborative storytelling game. I can't tell you how many times I've had to kick people out the table or off, you know, off from the gaming group in years past because, you you know, I was, you know, as they say, wet behind the ears, right? And you learn, hey, this person's chemistry, right? Or, or as they would be, as it would be said now, today's vibe, um, <laughs> the vibe of individuals. I'm not trying to sound like that old fogey, please, <laughs> folks. I, I, but I'm also an old, so I'm like a wizard at heart, but I'm a paladin exteriorly, you know, <laughs> trying to be at least as I adjust my self so my back doesn't hurt. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, it's okay to do that. And I would love to ask this question. When when was that moment where you said, I really need to introduce these like safety tools. I need to introduce these this vetting process. And like, what was that creation process for the vetting? Like, what did it look like when you first started? Totally. And for me, I mean, it's, it's a relatively recent lesson learned. I started the other group. I started two groups playing in my homebrew campaign at the same time the other group the one that i had to just like end things with we made it five sessions okay and it so was like a huge... was it a weekly session it bi-weekly so every other week okay okay cool. um so a couple of months you know but I, still I'm that's five sessions isn't a lot yeah and it, a big factor of that was flakiness which obviously is the like constant joke about dnd is the challenge of scheduling it's the bb but you want people that are going to make it a priority in their life true an investment and so that's one of the big things that i screen for is is how much are you going to be prioritizing this? Because sure. it's a better story if all the characters are in every chapter. Did people get offended at that when you said, are you going to make it a priority? Not in the new screening, not at all. And I kind of awesome. made it clear, you know, I'm giving you a very concrete timeline, time frame that we're operating under. We're doing it around everyone's availability. Sure. And I want this to be a priority for everyone. And I, sure. I, there is also a little bit of a luxury, I think, also of being the DM or the GM in this situation 
situation because mm-hmm. there is such a shortage of DMs and GMs that if you're willing to like be brave and do it, you get to be choosy a lot of the time. And you know what's funny? You mentioned the GM shortage because actually there's an there's an episode of the podcast coming up about the GM shortage and how we can yeah. fix it. Um, what I've noticed is that geographically there's a huge, you know, so like not only in the US, right, but like North America, North Central, South, whatever the 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 Americas, Europe, and then like APAC region, right? So like, and again, I'm trying to like make sure that I remember all my regions, but like EMEA, you know, all that APAC, everything where there's a huge shortage. And I have my personal opinion on why that is, but I'd like to kind of pick your brain. Why do you like, what is it about GMing that causes a shortage in your opinion? I mean, I think the biggest thing I hear, and, and it's been so beautiful to get into TikTok and kind of exist in the, like the very like nano part of TikTok that sure, I'm still on. Sure. Uh, I have not been on it for that long. And so what I get a lot and what a lot of the DMs I get are from people that are interested in DMing or just mm-hmm. starting to DMing and are too scared to like post comments on any of the bigger D&D influencers like yeah. videos because they don't think they'll get seen. And a lot of it is just the fear of not knowing enough. Mm-hmm. And I think with the rise of so many live plays, and even if we're not talking about the big ones there are so sure. many entry level live plays but the dms there still have a certain level of expertise experience and knowledge to feel like they can broadcast their game mm-hmm. and so i think people feel like they have to really know the rules and yeah. be able to think on their feet in a way that may not be a natural skill set for them when those of us that have done it for a while know that the best way to learn how to gm is just by jumping in with both feet and starting to do it Very and true. certainly a basic primer on the rules is helpful. But if you're just playing with your buds, you can pause whenever you need to and consult the inside yeah. of your GM screen. Just Google it. I mean, it's Damn. it's a great era of you don't have to flick through book pages. I If you're trying to remember what the rules are for an improvised weapon, you put improvised weapon 5E in the search bar and yep. immediately get the rule pulled up for you. Yep. So it's, it's much easier to GM these days than it's ever been before. But yeah. I think at the same time, there's that perception that you have to know everything before you go in and you just don't. Yeah, I have, I'd, I'd agree with you. I think there is an intimidation and there's like an imposter syndrome type situation going on. And I've noticed, and this is no shade on any of the content creators on TikTok or Instagram, but specifically like TikTok, a lot of the big name content creators had only been GMing and playing D&D since 2019 or 20. And I've interviewed a couple of them, like, you know, they're, and they're great people and they know, you know, they know as much as they, again, you can know the rule book and some people I've heard the kind of as the the self-proclaimed grognards of the industry kind of say or the hobby say, well, you know, I was there since the first edition and, you know, the red box itself and then going into now where they say and and I think, you know, this is a two part comment. The first part is some of the older grognards that came. There's a very small minority and they're the loudest that say, hey, like you, you know, you don't understand, you know, you're using this hobby and you're doing it's now cool. And it's just, again, it's a weird dilemma for them because, and this is where like, we need to be compassionate. They grew up in an era where they'd get bullied, right? They'd get bullied for being uh, a nerd and playing. And I mean, look at 80s pop culture, like any film in the 80s era, like, I mean, any of the John Candy, you know, films or any of the like kind of that quintessential 80s nostalgia you see like teenagers being called nerd and it's like they're looking geeky and they're looking like that and a lot of the people that play D&D at that era may 
have identified that way. So that's where we need to be compassionate. But again, I mention all that because the TikTok creators of today who only started in 2020, which is awesome, like they don't know as much as maybe the person who started as well in 2020, but didn't start anything on TikTok. They just wanted to jump in because they said, hey, I'm bored at the house. I've watched every Twitch stream that's available and I'm bored. So I think that's where like we tend to beat ourselves up in the community. In, in this community, especially like we tend to beat ourselves up more than other community. Like, I don't know if you've noticed that, but I've, I've seen it like if the D if the GM shortage is a dilemma, I feel like the internal beating up because we don't know how to play. And then we fee we, we become fearful is like a hair below that GM shortage dilemma. When I think it's that perceived expertise of as sure. soon as yep. you are like brave enough to like turn on the camera and speak somewhat eloquently in to it. Mm -hmm. There's like, oh, that person is an expert. Clearly, they have been doing this for a while. They are exceptional True. at it, all of those things. And it's one of the reasons why on my channel, I really try to call out the stories of when I run bad D&D sessions. Yeah. And I try to talk about, here's where I drop the ball. I'm not doing this perfectly. We're all going to learn together. Here yeah. are the things that I don't know yet. Because I think it can create this really slippery slope where you just assume everyone is so far beyond you. And that's not the case. I'm running my yeah. first ever module right now. I've nice. never done it before. I'll be honest. I've never, I have played in modules um, in the past, but I don't typically um, run modules. I'm very yeah. rusty when it comes to modules. The only one that I've really run, so to speak, and, and I say that loosely, was Curse of Strahd. Um, I've played in it and then I ran it. So like some of the magic was gone, but it's also like being a parent where like when you have a kid, when Christmas comes around, you feel like a kid because Christmas, you know, that magic is there um, or it's been like reignited because of your kids. And same thing when you run a module. Um, my, and you know, my biggest, and actually that's a great segue into my next question. As a game master, what are some of the areas where you think like you kind of look back and you're like, oh crap, I really dropped the ball or I felt like a failure or oof, I did not do a good job doing, you know, X, Y, Z. And then how did you mitigate it and, and try to be better from it? Right. Yeah. So the first arc of my homebrew campaign, the one that I'm still playing right now, uh, I had wanted the, who the bad guy was to feel shocking. Okay. And I'm also a big believer in if the party isn't investigating hook, that doesn't mean what the hooks are tied to isn't happening. Okay. And so they were coming back. They were noting new announcements on the jobs boards of missing persons, of increases of rats in the sewers, all of these things that all tied in. And they weren't doing any kind of checks, any kind of inquiries into any of that. And what happened was who I had, the bad guy, was supposed to be someone that was perceived as like a compassionate ally. But the party, it was the owner of the local magic shop that they shopped at, the like cheap magic shop in town. Mm -hmm. And they went every time they came back into town and they bought things from her. And I was like, cool. This is like, y'all like her, all of that. And when the like pinnacle event, the like plague that is being unleashed, that she has unleashed onto sure. the town is revealed. They're all like, well, we have to go get Uzma. Are you all talking about? You and can, like, you well, can say adult best. language on the show. Don't worry. You can, you're fine. <laughs> and they were like, well, she's one of our best friends in town. And I was like, you've never had a conversation with her. They yep. were like, well, we go see her every time we come back in town. I was like, yeah, it'll spend money. Uh, and it was this yeah. like cognitive dissonance that I had to 
between all of their head cannons. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, we were a bigger table than we were still playing with six players. We had a couple of people that peeled off of that arc. And I was yeah. also feeling a lot of time crunch anxiety because I had made a commitment um... when I started running the campaign that I was going to run the first arc in this many months and people could check in then and decide to continue in the campaign or not. And yeah. so I felt the need to not extend, to give them those opportunities to dig deeper into the quest hooks they had been ignoring because I had made a promise to deliver around the time frame. Gotcha. And they didn't feel like they had the time and space to have these long role-playing conversations with Uzma the shopkeep because there were so many players at the table and there was other things going on and all of that. Mm. And so all of that happened. It was still satisfying and it was a good lesson for the party, not talking about the players, but the characters suddenly learned a lot about the world and about trusting NPCs and all of that. And it was still delivered the punch that it needed to. But we did after that session, we started the next session with an hour, maybe an hour and a half of basically a renewed session zero of me being like, here's the ways that like, I want to start and acknowledge the places where I think I dropped the ball here. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of this that is on me. And I want all of you to also give feedback on like what wasn't working, what was working. Let's go into the second arc of the campaign on the same page, remove the time pressure that was like really artificially opposed by me as a GM Mm -hmm. and start fresh in the arc. And it's all worked out and it's delivered a lot of really great experiences. But the like that whole session, the two sessions around the like big battles of the arc didn't were frustrating for everyone in wake. I would have wished. You know, I think that's a really good call out on yourself, so to speak. And that's really good self-reflection because oftentimes I've heard game masters say, well, it was my players, right? They put the blame on them. And I've thought to myself, because I'll be honest, like, so the game, so my campaign, this arc has gone on for six, seven years now. It's a very West Marches style game. People come in and out of the game and it's, it's pretty great. I like, I, I really like the way we run it. But one thing that I've always noticed, and I remember, I will remember the two or three times where I really said, dang, like I dropped ball on this one, or I felt guilty about it. Right. Cause there is that there's a GM guilt that people don't talk about. And I definitely want to ask you, there's a question there that I want to ask, but I kind of want to frame it against this. So the GM guilt that I felt the first time I got, I was, I became really impatient with someone because they were metagaming and they're all new players. Right. And mathematically this, the person I'm speaking of is a genius, like a mathematical wizard. And he's playing a character that based upon the score, you know, their stat isn't. So they're metagaming. Right. And it got to the point where I just got frustrated. I was like, listen, you can't do it. Like I was putting, cause they were just kind of pushing and pushing and pushing. And one would say, well, Brian, they're pushing, who cares? Like you're trying to lay the law down, but that's not, that's reactive. That's not responsive. So for that, I've always felt guilty. The second thing um, was recently um, where my players literally had an eight session battle because what happened, long story short, certain, uh, certain, you know, um, oh my gosh, I can't speak today. Thank you. That's the word. Thank you. Um, Nat 20 on remembering Um, natural one for me. So they basically became, they were vampire lords. They revealed themselves because they um there was like a plot to take them I'm already so into it tell me everything <laughs> i will because that thank you um no um so basically what happened is that the country of Galeborg, which is a very celtic inspired um region in my world there is there was basically like all the nobility two of the nobles who were essentially um vampires one of them that one of them was a vampire kind of priestess and the other one he was like a vampire 
warlord, like just really, and um, really military minded. And he was part of a coven that was connected to a uh, another vampire lord that in my in the world um, called Garceau, very kind of French countryside inspired. And basically, because of decisions that the pre the previous group made, Garceau is under siege, so they're connected. So basically, if the players would not have deposed of those leaders, they would not have revealed themselves. So like if this was six, this was a you know four or five years in the making, like in real time. But I feel guilty because what had happened is that I made you know this huge session or these huge you know combat. The whole city's under siege and play and the you know the characters are basically fighting throughout the night, not resting. Right, so there's some levels of exhaustion, and they you know they defeated, they did the thing and celebration because there's a year time span. And my guilt is that I introduced a pot a plot point a little too early. Early. And then I remember one of my players specifically told me, I feel like we didn't have enough time to rest. And I was like, damn, I forgot that the players did not go through the year long break. The characters did. So that's like the second thing. And the reason why I frame it that way and the way I want to frame it that way is first and foremost, when we feel that player guilt, like, you know, if you've ever felt that player guilt, what did you like? What were the phases that occurred? Like if you could identify it and especially to help others kind of identify it, but how did you mitigate it? Like, what did you do to remediate? Like, like, let's say, for example, you knew what triggered the guilt, you knew what happened. And then how did you say, okay, like, how do I resolve this? And really specifically, I'm asking because there's people out there that don't know how to do any of that. Totally. So one of the things that's really important to me about running games is keeping super open flows of communication. Mm -hmm. So for all of my campaigns, I have an anonymous Google form set up where I get notified if anyone submits anything. So if there's ever something that someone is uncomfortable with, it could be another player at the table, it could be a plot point, something new they want to add to our lines and veils that they don't want to have a conversation about, they can sure. immediately go there and address it. So I try to model that. And honestly, you know, I play with some people that are in their mid to late 20s, you know, a whole age range and looking at the skills that we develop, healthy communication is one of the skills that not everyone has a ton of strength in. Yeah, true. And so I really do think about modeling healthy communication as like one of the like growth points of playing D&D. It mm. D &D helps you grow a lot of those communication skills. So when I feel like I've dropped the ball with a player and I'm like sitting with it and there's that like ick after a session, you like know yeah. something went wrong and you kind of have to like replay and figure out like what, what feels weird, what feels bad about it. Mm -hmm. I will reach out to that player and say like, hey, I would love to talk about X that happened in the session. Can we talk about it now? Or is there a better time? Mm -hmm. And say in that message, I think I dropped the ball and I just want to touch base with you and clear the air and correct anything that might need to be corrected. Um, and I've had that happen with players that like they're raised something and I've been in the moment with something else and I feel like I was too dismissive of them. I didn't give space for something that we were trying to raise, anything like that. I just try to, as soon as possible, flag it to them, clear the air. And that helps me get past any of that guilt as well. Yeah, time is probably the one thing that I always 
always say like I always feel guilty because yeah. um you know with my little one it, it's it's for me and I'm not trying to like you know, I, I'm not trying to dump on anyone in the sense of like emotional dump but it's like for me I feel guilt because it's like I wake up it's dad mode and husband mode go to work it's work mode and then from work mode it's back to dad and husband mode and then when everyone's asleep it's like DM mode yeah. you know me mode like and it's all like intertwined so that when I do play D&D it's like okay I have three four hours to play D&D but then oh my gosh how's my daughter doing like is she sleeping like it's all the little thoughts and then it's like I don't you know I've had to dedicate time or rather I've had to dedicate time to building the foundation of my world so that my DM prep is very like effective and it's very yeah. much like surgical you know what I mean and yeah. It's it's difficult, but one thing I think um, I would love to kind of lean into your perspective is again we're all adults, you know. For the most part, we're all doing things that require time. So when you're prepping, what are the things that you focus on in order to be effective and surgical? Like what are you know what are the things that you say? Eh, I really don't need to focus on this. You know, for example, um, I heard one person say if the party's not going to deal with an NPC for more than eighty percent of the session, don't you know? don't do anything with it. Just like, you know, just let it go. But that's kind of what I'm gleaning into. Like, how do you prep? And then how do you effectively, or rather, how do you view effective prepping? And what does that look like? Yeah. So I have the luxury of playing my homebrew campaign in a world that I built during lockdown. So I have a very rich world because mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of other stuff going on. Understood. And so, I mean, one of the things that I built to your note about NPCs is I have a rolling table for NPCs because because I like to generate NPCs in the moment. It's a way for me to like, maybe we have this tiny gnome blacksmith NPC. I don't know. It's fun to like surprise myself with all of that and roll in that way. Um, and I just have names. I roll for where in the world they're from. And I have names from all of those different parts of nice. the world. And I just have all that in a chart for myself. And I can just improvise stuff like that in the moment. And I I'll think send you a couple of tables if you want. I have a bunch yeah. of them that I share on Instagram. Shout oh, out to I, my Instagram page. Your Instagram but... is great. Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's uh, no, I'm kidding. I was going to twirl my mustache, but then I realized that that's <laughs> no one wants to see that. That's gross. Um, No, I and the reason I, I was going to say I'll send some tables is because that was my thing. Like, I have no damn time for this. I, I'm a dad. Like, mm -mm, yeah. I, I want to sleep. Like, so what I end up doing is I bull crap. Yes. So I will yes. like carve out a day or all that. I will prep as much of the mini arc we're in, whatever that might be, in one go. And so, like, right now in my home. Okay campaign we're in a tournament art so sweet. i spent Ooh, sweet it's very Hell yeah uh, so i spent time planning out the town that they're in all of that building out i built 10 now 11 other adventuring parties that are participating in the tournament all of the high level officials that are there all the locations in the town all of the qualifying rounds and then the later rounds of the tournament and now i don't have to prep my D, &D campaign for probably because we play every other week the next three months yeah because there's five qualifying rounds and then they'll go into the bracket where they're playing against other parties like it's mm. just going to be in that way and I find that really helpful for me because it's like a different part of my brain that gets turned sure. on for the building from scratch aspect of that now DMing from a module is totally different because yeah. I'm not having to really then it's just the like logistics and figuring out okay reading through this or is there any dialogue I want to enhance so like for the crowning of the monarch in the witch like carnival I wrote like a poem that is recited there oh, like nice. what is the like 
like bits that are like the flavor I like to add to my jamming that I can like season the module with in my prep. And then some mechanical prep because I play in person of pulling maps and minis and all of that and getting everything together. So do you then, and you know, I didn't end with the whole tables thing. I didn't mean to be offensive or anything. Oh. I, it was um, my really bad dad joke humor. It, it comes with the territory. Um, the, the big thing that I wanted to ask though, and especially like with tables and stuff like that, because mm -hmm. it does, I feel like it does become tiresome. Do you ever feel like when you're making the tables, you're making the, the like the NPCs, you know, the faction or the, oh, this is the gift shop and this is what they're going to sell. And the, I did it, right? And then all of a sudden your players are like, I'm not interested in that. I have no desire to be here. And then they do something else. Do you ever feel like it's a, I don't, I don't want to say it's them being disrespectful because I don't think it's intentional, right? In order for be dis, to be disrespectful, truly, it should be intentional. But do you get frustrated at that? And if so, how do you, how do you work through that frustration? So I'm very lucky in my homebrew campaign in that I have players that are like, like greedy for the world lore. And so they'll be like, we want to go to every single shop in town and meet the shopkeepers you've created. I love is, those players, by the way. It's a gift and, and it's why we're going to play together for the rest of our lives uh, sure. because it, it's just fantastic. Uh, but I, I, now that I'm running the module, you know, you're prepping every single carnival attraction at the Witchlight Carnival and just realistically, they can't go to everything. Yeah. Uh, so there's a couple of thoughts I have around it. One is, okay, I'm probably going to run this module again. I'm getting mm -hmm that prep done for a future version of this campaign or if it's something that is like a shop or something like that and I do this all the time I just I did a three shot for my mom and dad in my homebrew setting during the pandemic that's so cool and I just took a bunch of that mini campaigns world lore and it's going to be content that my current homebrew campaign is going to find in the library in this that's adventuring cool. town so I'm, you'll find ways to like reuse things and and that recycling mentality I think is the best way to like push through that DM frustration it's just like, cool, they didn't want it here. Maybe they'll like it if I put different gift wrap on it and put it in a different location. Now, this is so you mentioned, you know, you just mentioned about running your mom and dad through these, like kind of the three shot. Um, you obviously your your dad DMs. Does was is your mom involved in like nerddom in that level, or is that, that... Was the first time my mom had ever played? That is adorable. Number one, yeah. she's now uh TTRPG TikToks mom, just saying I'm claiming it. <laughs> I don't know you, ma'am, but you're now our mom. Um, they do so thank both you. follow my TikTok, which is very adorable. They like made accounts to see my video. Um, so now that confirms that we have a mom, a TTRPG mom. Um, you're welcome, TTRPG family, because now I can um, be like, please, mom, can you? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I will not pester any parent. Um, Honestly, it's the best. She knows everything about my homebrew world, and I I will like run dialogue faster. And she's one of those people that cries really easily. And if I like get her to tear up, I'm like, okay, that'll make my players feel stuff. Never mind i i i i take back everything now it's lore mom as well lore so yeah. um i love that no but but in all seriousness like that's a beautiful thing um but i mentioned that because like obviously you're very open about ttrpgs with your family and whatnot like was it a was it kind of normal to be like oh yeah i'm running this thing and i'm kind of bouncing ideas off my parents you know again you, you know just trusted people and then now my players are going to go through it or was it kind of this weird like hey they're like my parents and i'm and yeah, they, they're a nerd dumb with me, but you know, there's still that like parental, like, you know, you know what I mean? Like there's that viewpoint. Yeah. For me, it's really helpful. And especially, I mean, my mom is just like interested in the world that 
that I'm building and the stories sure. that I'm telling. My dad is helpful for like the mechanical aspect of things. Oh, so you like, get the two sides. Yeah. Yes. And so especially because he's played so many editions of D&D and he's sure, played old sure. editions of D&D. And so he comes to me sometimes to clarify fifth edition rules oh, uh, yeah. because those are things that obviously you get confused and, and, you know, does this rule still exist and things like that because I never DM'd in the older edition. So I didn't know the rules in the same kind of 360 way. Well, like the bloody uh, mechanic. That's a mechanic exactly. that stayed the, with us. Um, uh, the like, and it's on kill shot that like you could like auto kill someone <laughs> rule. And I can't remember what it's called. Oh my gosh. Again, natural one dad. Which he was describing ring. to me and I was just like horrified by because as a DM, how frustrating that must have oh, been. Oh, that would have sucked. Like now I don't look. Oh my gosh. I don't remember. Okay, folks, if you're listening or watching this comment down below, if you remember that rule, um, see, but, and, and you actually, this, this makes me think about something too, where like the different editions bring that gold, right? I think fifth edition brings streamlining ability. It's really easy for you to kind of streamline certain things, but you also have to homebrew a lot in order to get there, right? So in your experience, have you had to home, besides homebrewing your campaign and world, have you had to, or were, did you feel kind of forced to homebrew a lot of the mechanics because of fifth edition? Or did you look into t other TTRPGs like Pathfinder and say, hey, I like what second edition Pathfinder did. I'm going to borrow that. Like what's, what's been your journey in that regard? Totally. So I am totally up to borrow from previous editions, from other TTRPGs. I love running skills challenges, like from fourth edition D&D. I'm yeah. currently using the um, library research mechanics from Pathfinder's Ultimate Intrigue book. Okay, cool. Uh, I use one of the ways I use inspiration is inspired by the adversity tokens from kids with bike. I, I fully, if I see something and I think that would hmm. be cool and work in my campaign, I just borrow from it. And I'm at tables that are open to that because usually That's what I'm needed. pitching is in the player's favor. And so yeah. instead of having our library research mechanics, just be like, cool, I guess roll one history or investigation check and we'll see how you do yeah. in this library. They get to roll checks that are inspired by the topics they're researched on. So our barbarian sure. can actually make headway in research. And so it serves them in ways that they're much more open to because it's just making a more flavorful game. And yeah. combat isn't all of my favorite players' favorite part of D&D. &D. And so these extra mechanics are a way to gamify some of those other aspects of play for them. Okay. So really what it sounds like is that um, in this regard, and this is kind of the, I, I, I smirk because I've, I'm running into this uh, same theme, right? This is a thematic thing that I've noticed is that a lot of game masters after playing, you know, fifth edition for X amount of years, they start to almost transform fifth edition into a completely different rule set. And I thought, oh man, like, am I doing that? I, I you know, so I, like I said, I, I'm running a game, but I also play it in, there's only one game I play in right now. I had to cut a lot of, you know. Hey, you're doing better of, than I am. Well, it's almost like the reason being is because I love the world. I've, I'm invested in it. I've been playing in it for four or five years. Um, at this point, my character is level 17 from level one. Like That's incredible. Yes. And I have maybe I've gone down maybe once. Um, it's heavy role play. Um, and there's 30 years of lore. Like this individual has had 30 years of lore. Um, to say the least, I so my character Dane, who is basically my OC, take 
taking him since I was a kid, right? And I kind of label him because I used to play Magic the Gathering as a planeswalker. So he's like Dane the planeswalker. And in the last month or two in that session, Dane, as Dane Granite Heart, shout out to Evermore, um, I had to kill my king. My I am the captain of his honor guard. And in order to bring the souls back, because they're the, basically they have the serpentine road that leads them to like not paradise, but the afterlife. Um, and there's this demon that was just consuming all the souls. So in order to kill the demon and to bring those souls to final resting, I, the prophecy, which I, I love the use of prophecy, um, it, it's such a good tool. I It really is such a good tool, like puzzles. But with puzzles, it's like, I got to use like a third grader puzzle. I mean, hell, I got to use third grade puzzles to solve things. And I'm a full grown adult. Just a quick prophecy note. And I want to hear what happened with Dane. Uh, I hmm. had two prophecies I've given to my players at this mm-hmm. point um, in the campaign, kind of starting to tee up the like circumstances that will be the big plot for the story. However, they choose to tackle it. I just know the circumstances. I don't know what the plot's going to be. For sure. And they're sitting there after the session and I have physical props because we play in person and they have these two letters in front of them of like my shitty poetry prophecies. And they're like analyzing the back and forth, trying to find the connections between them. And I'm just sitting there having a beer and just like getting to chuckle and make notes of suggestions that they've thrown out that like might not have been what it is, but maybe it is what it is now. We'll see. You're, uh, I can just it, picture you drinking beer and you're like, ah, ha, ha, and then you're like taking down notes like, yeah. oh, this is a good connection. And then exactly. like, just like, or just even saying like these people, I can't believe I DM them. I can't believe they're functioning adults. No, I'm kidding. I, <laughs> it, it's, it's the, it's the thing we have, we have to chuckle as game masters. We got to chuckle every now and then because it's either the scene from it's always funny and so, or it's always sunny in Philadelphia where he's like having like the, like the conspiracy, like red line and he's smoking a cigarette or it's like all like, I mean, actually all of D and D is pretty much it's sunny in Philadelphia. Let's be honest. Basically, it's like, yeah. it's like it's sunny in forgotten realms. Absolutely. Let's be real. Um, but again, playing and DMing. And I think that's an actual, that's a really big balance. And oh, to finish off with Dane, before I go I, into I was a tangent. Bring you back to it, you thank I you. I appreciate other it. listeners hanging either about the prophecy. Well, basically the prophecy was that in, you know, someone you love will have, but basically paraphrasing that pe- someone that you love in order to essentially um, bring, bring those souls to the resting pace, but place there's hate. These souls are hateful and angry. And the DM again, using previous editions, he used, I think it was first or second edition where it's undead. So when you get hit by an undead, it remove, it removes like X amount of years off your life. So um, yeah, that's fun. Uh, thanks Ray. Uh, if you're listening to this today, thank you for that. Um, but more importantly, I, as his, as the captain of his honor guard had to kill him because it's, you know, Dane loves him. Um, as his king. So not only did he have to like kill his king, he now has been crowned the king because it's kind of like in the line, like in the line of succession, he was basically like any granite heart, any of that, like that noble, which again, Arvid is his name. Shout out Arvid, shout out Kenneth um, or Kenny, as we call him. Um, He was the one that started the dwarves in this world, in the world of Evermore. That is his, he is the first king of the dwarves and he's been playing for 30 years. So I had to kill a 30 year character. Wow. 
And the amount of, and now mind you, two out of the three BBGs of the world are completely done. They're permaket killed, no longer in existence. Again, 30 year BBGs. So there's a, there obviously there's that risk reward, but needless to say, many tears were had and I never cry. I don't like, I, nope, I don't cry in those situations. And in that moment, it was plenty of tears. But anyway, I bring that up because obviously like the usage of certain tools, prophecy, and, and what I've noticed about your DM style already, and again, I haven't played with you, but what I've noticed is that you're really good at really digging deep into what the player, unbeknownst to them, really desires and want, right? That's it. And again, I, I and this is a huge compliment because I feel a lot, you know, even for me, it takes time. I feel like for, like from what I've gauged about you, it, it's quicker for you to just, I know what my player wants. I'm going to dig deep and then I'm utilizing these props, um, especially because you mentioned that you're playing in person now. I don't know how, like, I would love to learn about how you utilize props from an online perspective, like love to understand what your tips would be for that. But again, if I'm assuming this correctly or just assessing that, rather assessing this correctly, how do you find that like core thing that a player wants, right? How do you do that analytical work to say, this is what the player wants and this is what they really seem like, this is what they need, right? Um, and how do you bring that together? Is that through your vetting process? Is that through just like basic analytical work? Like walk me through that. Yeah. Uh, so I, it's a constant process. And mm -hmm. for me, so much of it is about listening and not just listening to what's being said at the table, but like, what are they saying about what they're loving about the other campaigns they're playing in? What are their favorite pieces mm. of media? What are the arcs they're playing in Skyrim? I mean, what are the different things that like light up the joy sensors in their brain? I'm because glad you said Skyrim, by the way. Uh, one of my players is a huge Skyrim uh, player and got all of us playing it recently so chef's kiss sorry i deter uh, no absolutely um the listening is crucial there one of the best tools i have that give me those indicators is that i start every one of our sessions with a character building question and it's a way to get them into the mindsets of their characters and start like that improv brain going but i mean the most recent question i asked them was what does is most important to your character wealth power reputation or happiness hmm. that's a huge indicator for what levers i can pull as NPCs, as temptations, as things like that. And some of the questions are, what's your character's morning routine? But also like, what's your character's favorite dream and most frequent nightmare? And then they Ooh. had an interaction with a dream reader and I asked that months ago and then dropped them all into their night four months later. And so like all of Legit. that feed into it. And that's a great indicator. I had an amazing moment with um, one of my players recently. Uh, they had just gone through this like pretty intense dungeon and they had this like big celebratory moment afterwards but the dungeon had a lot of trauma in it and a lot of like bad experiences and I wanted them to get back from the like happy party they had afterwards like processing all of it they had learned and so I had all of the characters have nightmares that night I'm going around and narrating them and one of the characters who is our quieter character but we're about to go into like the big arc in her hometown so I've been thinking a lot about her recently I describe the nightmare that she has immediate burst Oof. because I had unknowingly 
parallel short stories that she had been writing in preparation for going home and interacting with her family again. And I had just like managed to sink mm. into the energy of the character and basically describe something that's like one of that character's biggest fears. Damn. And that's Kudos. just listening to them and really cooning into them and paying attention. And and some of that is like natural ability to read people and that mm. can't talk. But it's really just paying attention to them and creating space. And so like I always tell my players, anytime you want to talk to me about your character, like hit me, send me a message on Discord. I'll get back to you as soon as you can. And just like yeah. keeping that open line of communication uh, is so important to get into the deep character work. And for that campaign, that's what we've all committed to is this like super intensive character focused story where we are all really able to bring like a different level of emotional vulnerability to the way that we're role playing because we are such a close knit group. Yeah. Now, when you say you're listening and doing and, and you're kind of and again, just that analytical work and paying attention to the root, like, are you writing things down or typing things up as things are happening? Or are you like just straight up remembering everything? Oh, no, I fully have a notes app on my phone that is just like full of bullets that I've taken as we're like a couple glasses of wine deep into like chatting after a session and they're like talking about things and I take notes on them. Constantly. Cool. Okay. Because That's a really good tip. That's a really yeah. good tip for people to implement like literally ASAP. Yeah. Just anytime you and honestly, I intentionally try to set up like one on one time, small group time with my players. And again, that is a luxury of time that I recognize that not all DMs sure. have. But you know, we all live near each other. We're part, big parts of each other's social groups. I will intentionally try to steer conversations towards their characters sometimes if I feel like I need to know something and you know, a little bit of casual misdirection, like bring up something that I saw in the media that's unrelated and say it made me think of their character, you know, whatever. So just like also to let them know that you're as passionate about their characters as they are. And I think as so, soon as you open that door, it's just a conversation. So you're really acting more of like a rogue spy master than anything. <laughs> Uh, I honestly, I think my, yes. my players would fully agree with that. Uh, I respect uh, it. My homebrew world is all about, um, Abria Iyengar recently said on a talk back for the um, new, uh, the Wizard, the Witch, and the Wild One, the World's Beyond Number mm -hmm. podcast, that the first thing she builds when she's world building is the lie that the whole world believes. And that is all about what this campaign is about, is what are the lies that this world believes and unpacking them. So there's a lot of misdirection that happens in my campaign. That's interesting. Um, with my world, and I've, and again, I attribute... Uh, uh, I have an inside joke with my friend Ray, aka Got DM on Instagram. Um, he's created this world of Evermore, and before I started playing in his world, I my big thing, and, and and I say I say this with all respect towards him. I thought I was doing some cool stuff like text based RP on Discord, where it's twenty four seven. You know, per, you know all this different stuff, and you know, mind you, he's been doing it for thirty years. But I kind of changed my perspective to think, oh, maybe I'm on the right track because it's something that people do. But the thing I want to say. And you mentioned the lie of the world, right? And it's a matter of perspective. A lie to one person is a truth to another individual. You know, very Kierkegaardian, like, you know, subjectivity, objectivity type thing. But, you know, we're not a philosophy podcast. We're, well, we have philosophical thoughts, There's but we're not. There's a lot of philosophy that comes oh, into DMs absolutely, sometimes. absolutely. Um, but I, 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 although this is the bearded nerd podcast, I can go really nerdy into Kierkegaard. But point is, um, to 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 basically save people from a insufferable tangent. <laughs> um, I really think that that's really important. Like you said, bringing that lie. Like, what is the lie? What do people believe in? What it, is it? A religious thing? Is it a moral thing? An ethical thing? Or is it like a historical? Right? Like, you know, obviously there's 
you know, they you know, they say so many things about war and history and how it's affected one another. But really, what is that perspective? What? Because yeah. again, best analogy I've ever heard is the person who thinks you're a monster, other people think they're a savior. Yeah. So how do you distinguish that? And really, as the game master, you're not. You're saying, here's the platter. You can choose to believe this. And player, you can choose to believe it. I don't know. It's your thought process. I'm just going to guide you there. Um, at least that's how I think a lot of good game masters do that. Now, mind you, I know that we're also, you know, in this era of the critical roles, the dimension 20s and everything like that. And there's kind of a set notion where I think players and, and, and you know, game masters see that and say, I want to model it after that. Something I think um, people should really implement. And I'd love to understand. I'd love to hear your opinion on is model the world the way you think you want to model it, right? Every game doesn't need to be a serious fantasy, you know, epic novella. It, it can be a slapstick humor like Acquisitions Incorporated. It could be a just, you know, the office D&D. Like, I don't know. But again, I don't know what you think. Like, I guess my question is like, if you were to give advice to a new DM, specifically one who's trying to understand what world they should build, what style campaign they should run, what are some of the tips that you wish you knew when, you know, when you first started and what's that, you know, process like? So for me, I, I would absolutely say build a world that you're going to love to live because you are going to spend more time thinking about this world than anyone else. And you need to create a world that you are going to be excited to say, okay, oh my gosh, they're going to this landmass. Let me build cities and towns and villages in it. And that needs to still be an exciting, creative exercise three years down the line. And so mm -hmm. creating something where the hooks of the world, the genres of the world are going to be things that make you excited. And so not telling someone else's story in someone else's world, but telling the things that replicate the fiction that you enjoy reading, the TV shows you like to watch, all of those kind of things to keep it compelling to yourself. Now, I, the world we're operating in in my homebrew campaign is one that I had months of solitude to write. And so it's much more developed than it necessarily needs to be. Mm -hmm. But I also think something that's really important that's hard when you're new to homebrewing a world is being willing to let things go mm. and kind of bless and release the things that were old ideas that don't work anymore. But more importantly, as you get to know your players and the stories their characters are telling, changing your world to fit those stories. For and sure. emphasizing things, de-emphasizing things, and not trying to shoehorn them into the way you thought that story was going to go. Because I, I, I really genuinely tried to tell my players, I was like, this could become a pirate camp point. It could become a political intrigue. Yep. We are kind of deciding where y'all go. They're at that phase, you know, the second tier of play where the world starts to open up to them. I was like, y'all can go yeah, to the capital here. city now and we do political intrigue. Y'all yeah. could go to the seven seas, the one sea um, in my world, but mm -hmm. and do a piracy campaign. I mean, there's so many different ways you can play in this world. And I haven't built out most of it because I don't know where they're going to go next. It seems like your your style is a very West Marsh's style game where it's kind of like the focus on the development of a, of, the, of the characters, but it's more of like the more, it's a modern West Marsh's style, which I really, really appreciate because people need to understand that it's about character development and story development. But anyway, um, one thing that I do want to ask, and this will probably be one of the last questions before we end this episode is, again, because I know you utilize a lot of physical props, things of that nature. If people want to incorporate that, but they don't know where to start, what are three things that you would recommend like people need, like pe where people can start and pe and things that would really level up that type of uh, play or that type of uh, 
running of the game? Absolutely. So first and foremost, and this is something that's easy to implement, even if you're not playing in person, my players write letters home and talk about ways to get insights into your characters. I have letters that are going back and forth between their family members, their friends, all of that. And that could be you physically are mailing letters back and forth. If you're playing virtually, you could email Mm. them to each other. In my game, I get mail from my players of their handwritten letters to their family members, and I give them back handwritten letters back. And sometimes I can do really precious things like press cherry blossoms when they're in season and send them in the letter from someone, a character's mom that loves to garden. Mm. I mean, there are things you can do to make those extra special, but just that extra level of insight of how are they telling their family about the adventures they're going on? What are they prioritizing? All of that is great. And then you can also do the threatening letters from enemies, from things like that. They had a threatening letter left at their inn um, by people that were, uh, had disguised self-cast on them to look like the party and had like gotten really angry at the innkeeper that they were staying with and like left it for the one player who was going to come back to get their stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was a threat from a crime boss. I had, uh, they all woke up after their fight with the uh, shopkeep, that first arc battle with letters from basically her boss being like, I hope you don't put any stock in what she was telling you. Clearly it was nonsense. Uh, And they just all woke up with letters from her and I got to hand those physical letters and I had been writing those letters for six months of real life time. Just as I got to know them better and canonically she's scrying on them all the time. So like the boss that wrote the letters is also getting to know them better and those letters were evolving and getting to hand them these like threatening letters was so exciting. Um, And I have like wax seals for like the different factions and so they all can see the wax seal for her faction for the first time. I definitely need to um, hit you up on where you got those wax seals. Actually, where did you get those wax seals so that everyone knows? Uh, There's a beautiful array of them on Amazon. You can get all kinds of different sets of them and they are very, very affordable. So every temple in my homebrew world has a different wax seal. Uh, All the different players have different wax seals. Uh, Amazon, you said? You know, also your local stationaries, but uh, you can just order them online. Um, I'm kind of looking online right now. Uh, I have like different sealing waxes. I mean, it's, it's very, very fun. And I use them also, I do physical jobs like notice boards town Ooh, which yeah, is another nice. great one and so anytime they go into town they like get excited now because they know that means a new jobs board and if it's an official thing by any of the merchant houses or any of the temples it has the wax seal saying this is like an official job by one of those entities oh um, but that's gosh, a great that's... one and those things can be put together also in a virtual version for your party um so i do advert for shop i do jobs postings missing persons postings all kinds of public notices and i also will update them as they're like go- returning to a home base city to show the passage of time because the city okay. keeps progressing while they're not for there. Sure. That's and the most logical thing. Yeah. And it's a great way for them to be like, well, what happened while we were away? Let's go look at the notice board and see what's changed. I like that a lot. I really, and, and honestly, the biggest reason why I love that is hands down, it's so unique to the players. They're going to feel invested in the world because you're taking that investment in them, but it's little things, right? Compounded to become this monumental like it it's not like you saying okay i need you know minis and terrain and da, 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 da. no it's i have a letter for you here you go i have a, a you know wax seal kit that now i'm looking on amazon and now i'm gonna probably buy you know one um because they're dope but it, it's the little things and i think that's a really good way to say it's like do little things um and actually it reminds me of a quote it's gonna be a far out quote um but mother Teresa, if you know if no one knows who she is google her um, she was a great person. The Mother Teresa one time said, do little things with great love. And that's what I feel like. That's so 
applicable everywhere. And especially as a game master, do those little things with great love for your players and for your world, because that compounding little thing with great love builds and builds and builds. And then all of a sudden, now you have this beautiful, living, thriving world that's filled with players who will keep it alive until, like you said, until the day, you know, you kick the bucket, until you fail this death saving throws, and then you're in Elysium playing D&D. You know, it just, it's an eternal <laughs> thing. But yeah, obviously. You know, of course, you know. <laughs> the nice thing about Elysium is there's no longer scheduling conflict. So it's, Yo, it's that next true. level of D&D. <laughs> true. That is so true. But anyway, folks, if you want to follow Kelsey, I will put everything in the description, um, links to social media so that you can just be on top of all her new posts, all her new videos, but really a lot of the tips and tricks that she provides to the community really for free um, out there. So I will put those links there. But Kelsey, thank you so much for hanging out and talking about D&D and really helping me become a better game master just by listening. I really appreciate it, Kelsey. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, it, again, hope, hopefully we can uh, get a game together soon, maybe. Um, virtual, I don't, again, twirling the mustache. Mm, nefarious. Um, but seriously.